Blaze Radio Network. And now, Reform This with Dr. Sudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. Your faithful uh, American Muslim patriot who uh, believes in this country, believes in the Constitution and conservative values, and is here to uh, uh, bring you that conversation that just doesn't happen about the areas that need reform against the establishment in the Muslim community. And also that synergy, that pathological synergy between the far left and the Islamist. And as we often see this week, is no different from, and there's no lack of uh, topics to cover. We'll cover things from a, a follow-up on the uh, SUNY uh, City University of New York uh, radical speech that uh, happened a few weeks ago uh, by activist Fatima Musa Muhammad. We'll touch base uh, on Iran and also look at this uh, unbelievable statement that uh, unbelievable in many ways in that it uh, had a conglomeration of leading imams from across the world and especially in the United States make a, a statement of what I find to be hate against the gay community. And we'll talk about that. Uh, but first, let's follow up a little bit about this radical Islamist, this anti-Semite, Fatima Musa Muhammad, gave the um, address on behalf of her class, her graduating legal class at City University of New York. And in a follow-up to that, which we would have predicted, but, you know, based on the backlash she got from conservatives and other media outlets, it was just amazing to me that the Council on American-Islamic Relations didn't just stay quiet, but no, they came to her defense. They called it dishonest and cowardly for a law school graduate's incendiary commencement address to be called hate speech by the right, they said. The Council on American-Islamic Relations is claiming that she's a victim of hate herself, that she was being targeted, that the far-right basically has intolerance for other opinions when they ignored the substance of her speech. They ignored the level of vitriol, of hate, of anti-Semitism that I covered with you last time, and I won't I won't have you bear to have to listen to that again. But the bottom line is, is that um, their statement, I think, reveals a lot about the reality, the tone-deaf nature by which these Islamists fuel. They are the radicalizers. They are the ones that empower the Fatima Muhammads of today and of tomorrow to feel uh, that they have just a green light to be as anti-American, as anti-Semitic, as, as uh, hateful as they can be of this country that gives them freedom, that gives them liberty. Karen New York said they strongly condemn the City University of New York for joining dishonest, cowardly, and dangerous attacks on their own student leader, Fatima Muhammad, who's been relentlessly harassed by far-right media. And then they criticize Eric Adams. Mayor Eric Adams, by the way, uh, on the left, and multiple members of Congress and City Council 
As an institution of higher education, CUNY has a responsibility to protect its students and even in the face of disagreement or discomfort. And its failure to do so is unacceptable, Care New York said. They go on to say Fatima's speech was submitted, examined, and pre-approved by CUNY in written form and a verbal recording. Furthermore, the speech was celebrated by the audience. CUNY student leaders, including the Jewish Law Students Association, have spoken up in her defense. Moreover, CUNY's mischaracterization of Fatima's speech as hate speech is false and defamatory. Oh, really? We just looked at the words, by the way. For those of us who were critical and also from within the Muslim community, those of us who are faithful Muslims who believe in our faith find her to be a radical misrepresentation of what mainstream Islam should be or is. And by the way, one of the main points that I made in talking to you about her radicalism two weeks ago was that the deans, the leadership, were sitting right behind her. They were nodding in affirmation. Was that the audience was just as radical as her and those who applauded. How many of us have been present at speeches that you hated and that you found flabbergasting? Did you applaud for them or did you sit on your hands? That's what usually normal human beings would do is sit on our hands. You only applaud and stand to things you agree with. Or at least you find unobjectionable or you're able to tolerate. There was nothing tolerable about her speech. She didn't get interrupted the way conservatives often get interrupted at universities. She didn't get shouted down. She didn't get the heckler's veto. But afterwards, it's fair game to put that speech in its place, the way it described Israel, the way it described America as a racist nation, that our laws are white supremacist, and that throws around terms like genocide and otherwise. So, as I said, the primary people at fault, as I said two weeks ago, are the administration. I didn't even know they had reviewed the speech ahead of time. And now CARE points it out that they did. So please, as some of the media has pointed out, and as we did initially on this podcast, it is clear that if there's state funding for what state funding there is to that school, a lot of it, including many of the appointees on their board of regents or whatever it might be called with the chancellors, they should be held accountable. They should be replaced. The school is a breeding ground for radicalism, for those who will go on to try to destroy this country from within. And as I said, if you hate this country this much, then leave and declare war on it. But to declare war on it by words and say nothing positive about the institution but simply tear down its history as being born from evil, then I don't really understand what having a law degree in a system that you believe to be evil and many of us believe to be the best legal system on the planet that has done some course corrections over the past few centuries and those course corrections are continuing but it's still rooted in foundations from founding fathers and constitution and bill of rights that is the best on the planet and the most successful for a reason and the Fatima Muhammad's of the world should not be fueled by 
radical organizations. And if you ever wondered what the Council on American Islamic Relations is really about, their defense of her speech from three weeks ago, I think, speaks everything you want to know about how anti-American, why they worked hand in hand with the Black Lives Matter movement that went across the country destroying federal institutions, malls and other things and and wanton destruction of property. Why, in the name of so-called anti-racism, they became racist against other races in this country. Why, in the name of Islam, the Islamists have claimed a minority status when, in fact, across the world, there are a majority in so many countries that they don't seem to have any problem with. That the Islamists actually seem to think that the democratic countries that gave their families the freedom that no other country gives them is the main problem. So, a lot to be learned. And for the administration at CUNY, they should be on on warning, on, on watch, that ultimately... Perhaps they need their positions to be reassessed and replaced by the powers that be at New York that can put more rational people in that would, if they listen to that speech. Now, you can make an argument that a senior speech should not be vetted. A senior speech should be free to say what they want as long as it's not inciting violence. But for crying out loud, if they have free speech to say what they want, then the rest of us have free speech to criticize it and put it in its place verbatim to read it and then categorize it for what it is, which is bigoted, anti-American, hateful, and certainly possibly inciting. I'm sure there will be more to come on that story later. Now, I I, I saw an excerpt from Iranian media that I I had to share with you. A source said, quote, senior cleric in Iran claims religion in Iran is weak. So they close 50,000 mosques. How many total mosques in Iran? 75,000. A senior Iran cleric says that around 50,000 of Iran's 75,000 mosques are closed, showing the declining numbers of Iranians attending mosques. Expressing regret over the low numbers engaged in worship, Muhammad Dulaibi, who serves as the liaison with Raisi's, the hanging judge who then became their president, administration, and the country's seminary, said on Thursday last week that the numbers are a worrying admission for a state built around the principles of Islam. Dulaibi, which is a member of the the Assembly of Experts, a deliberative body empowered to appoint the supreme leader, said the outcome of religion in Iran has led to people leaving the religion, emphasizing the weakening of religiosity among society and in turn a weakening of legitimacy of the government ruling by religion. He said people look at the output of the religion. They decide to enter the religion or leave the religion. Seeing humiliation of people in the name of religion, falsification of religious concepts and teachings, and depriving people of a decent life and creativity, and ultimately creating poverty in the name of religion. He made the remarks as growing numbers of Iranians of all ages are becoming weary of the regime's justification of Islam as the base for its brutal dictatorship. And this all comes on the heels of months upon months 
of almost a year now come September of violent protests since September 2022 in the wake of the death of the morality police custody of Masa Amini arrested for the inappropriate use of her hijab. So the point here is the regime is on its heels. The central nuclear piece of uh, a weaponry they have is weaponizing religion. And even in a theocratic state that it punishes its people, that abuses its people, that doesn't pray, that don't wear their clothes, that don't, uh, 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 the religious clothing that they demand from hijab to the, the burqa, whatever it might be, is shuttering its iconic symbol of the faith, which is the mosque. 50 out of 75 over three quarters of the mosques are shuttered and all they did was shut them down because they weren't being used. They couldn't afford to keep the upkeep. They couldn't afford and didn't find the need to keep them functioning. So they shut them down. It's no different than a sports team shutting down or a sports league shutting down almost 75% of its stadiums. It's no different than um, a, a company that is selling a certain product shutting down 75% of its assembly lines and inventory. The inventory of a theocracy is the pulpits. And that's why many of us in reform have talked about a Muslim identity outside the mosque because the mosques are controlled by the Islamists. Over 80% of the mosques, if not more, are dominated by the religiously obsessed, the orthodoxy, and those who believe, as currently Islam is stuck in, in its pre-modern mentality, whether it's the 13th, 12th century, whatever they might be stuck in, they haven't gone through a real enlightenment, a celebration of the individual. So as a result, the theocracies that are true theocracies, like Iran, will ultimately be the most revealing of where the mindset is for most Muslims. That's why the country with the, the greatest conversion out of Islam into atheism is Iran. So to any Muslims out there who, who think that somehow them staying silent is going to help the future, that it'll fix itself, these people aren't leaving Islam to go into some moderate version of a peaceful, moral humble, legacy-based Islamic interpretation. They're just leaving the faith and leaving God completely and becoming godless because their representation of faith coming from the government they see as evil. And the clerics themselves there are beginning to writhe in pain from it, not because they care about the religion, but they care about their power. They care about their ability to maintain control of the population, which in the last nine months has fallen more than it has in decades since 1979 in that fateful revolution that took over arrested control from a monarch, which was another form of dictatorship, but obviously more secular and less theocratic. So the future, I think, is 
limited to non-existent, God willing, for this theocracy. And I think if there's anything you want to see that will bode well for an anti-real nuclear program in Iran is the death of this theocracy. So as they claim death to America and death to Israel and their hateful anti-Western, anti-American and anti-Semitic chants, I declare in the shuttering of their mosques, death to the theocrats. May, may their institutions crumble and continue to close as a more modernized Islam comes out from their ashes, as a more 21st century libertarian-based, liberty-based, classical liberalism-based interpretation of Islam comes out, where individuals are honored, human rights are honored, and an evolution towards the Universal Declaration of Human Rights, our Constitutional Principles, Bill of Rights, become compatible with new interpretations, which are going to need new books, new schools of thought, of religious law, and certainly new imams that aren't wedded to that establishment. And let's talk about that for a sec. New imams. What did the imams do recently? Well, they came out with this statement... This global statement, especially by imams in the West, that they wanted to clarify Islam's, not their position, Islam's position on homosexuality. It's interesting. This is extremely important because despite all of our efforts at education to my colleagues here in the in the West and especially in America, still now we're finding conservatives who are saying, oh, look, the Muslim community is coming to join us in exposing what's happening with parental rights and wokeism and transgender uh, exaggerations. Okay, there may be a little bit of overlap there, but the reality is that the Islamists are at their heart theocrats. The Islamists a few months ago, have spent the last years working with the extreme left and hating America, hating Jews, and hating all that is right with this country that has been formed in the spirit of democracy, freedom, and liberty. And yet, now they seem to finally have found the issue that Islamists are going to finally put as their line in the sand which is a fuzzy line, by the way, which is not only against what's been happening with transgenderism and sports and other things, and it's not really just about parental rights, but now they're starting to express actually homophobic stances that serve no one's interests and are are not American and not helpful in the conversation on what's happening with parental rights and not helpful in the conversation on what's happening with the type of language and exposure of issues to our children. And yet, it seems to be looked upon by some conservatives as welcome. So now they've gone full tilt. Islamist figures... And institutions have embraced openly an anti-LGBT statement that United States-based clerics and scholars have put out 
And it's interesting that it wasn't hardline enough for some of the radical scholars across the planet, even though I believe many of the scholars that signed this are pretty radical. But the openly, repetitively homophobic scholars didn't stand for it because they do try to make a little bit of nuance, though it's hardly nuanced. This statement you can find online at Navigating Differences, and they say it's about clarifying sexual and gender ethics in Islam. Now, according to memory, the uh, Middle East Project on Revealing Theological Statements in Many Languages Among the Islamic Communities, the statement aimed to provide a collective, nonpartisan articulation of Islam's stance on sexual and gender ethics. It was signed by over a hundred religious figures and is still adding signatures every day through an application process. And the statement emphasized that sexual relations are permissible only within the bounds of marriage, which is defined as a union between a man and a woman, as decreed by God. They cited verses from the Quran to support their position, and the statement explicitly rejected attempts by certain Muslim groups to reinterpret texts in favor of LGBTQ affirmation. It deemed such efforts theologically indefensible as sexual ethics are considered immutable tenets that cannot be subject to revision. Addressing the Muslim community, the statement called on Muslim public figures to uphold the sanctity of our faith and refrain from making erroneous pronouncements on behalf of Islam. It further stated that we reject any attempt to attribute positions to Islam concerning sexual and gender ethics but contravenes well-established Islamic teachings. The statement received significant endorsement from Islamist figures and institutions, notably the Qatar-based, right? That's where the Muslim Brotherhood is, is housed, if you will, funded International Union of Muslim Scholars, the IUMS, who praised it as powerful. In contrast, Salafi hardliners, vehemently opposed the statement, accusing its authors of seeking to normalize homosexuality, which it hardly does, by the way. On the other hand, liberal-minded Muslim commentators downplayed its importance, asserting that it fosters hatred toward the gay community and highlighting the need for Muslim community leadership to prioritize other pressing issues. And it goes on. And look at who signed that thing. Helmi in a Qatar-based uh, report on it, noted that the family committee has endorsed this under the title of a powerful statement by the preachers in the United States regarding Islam's rejection of homosexuality. And Helmi goes on to say that um, the unanimous consensus among three Abrahamic religions, Islam, Christianity, and Judaism, is categorically and completely prohibiting sexual deviance, and then it says in parentheses homosexuality, deeming it contrary to sound nature and the preservation of the human race. IUMS stressed that it strongly condemns the authoritarian attempts to impose it upon the people of the world. So, what is, what is most apropos here is we can debate, we can disagree. You know, I as a conservative, pretty orthodox Muslim can believe in this in the central nature of family values and the central nature of the role of a mother and a father and of parental rights. And we can have that internal debate, but we do not dehumanize those who believe otherwise. We do not 
uh, speak on behalf of a religion and put out statements that will only fuel a, a bigotry against those communities. And there's no need for it. I can tell you as a physician, I care for many in the gay community. And uh, it would be horrific if as healers, as doctors, as people of faith, as human beings, we ignored human rights and we begin to make public sort of just like there should not be huge public statements that say that the the certain uh, um, choices that people make are the right one and everything else is wrong, we also should not do the same in reverse, which is, yes, the discussion of transgenderism, the, the, the pushing it down the throat of children and all of this wokeism as it would and then entering into the sports areas and, and beginning to have men compete against women is, is absurd. But you can find common cause in many of these areas with the gay community who also don't want to be mainstreamed in that kind of way in which there is a sense that uh, 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 their way of life, whatever the they is, is the right one while ours is the wrong one. That's not, that's not the way human beings who believe in the equality of each other should interact. If we want to have a discussion among those who are like-minded, we can do that and talk about why we choose the way of life that we choose. But to say somehow that the rest are deviants and use terms like that is only going to beget hate, bigotry, and marginalization which doesn't serve anyone's doesn't serve anyone's cause or mission or whatever that might be and it's certainly not about a loving faith these things should not be past judgment between human beings it's between them and god and i think it saddens me it horrifies me that that imams in the name of a faith they can speak if they want to make a statement about the importance of the nuclear family they can speak if they want about the importance that children have a mother and a father. And then, obviously, just as there's different beliefs about socialism and capitalism, we can have debates about, uh, about what is the nuclear family. But debating these things and about... It's interesting that no matter how strict you want to be theologically... There is hardly anything in the Quran about punishment, about these choices. It's between God and that individual. And yet, I think the, the proof of how hateful and how draconian their statement is, even though it didn't seem to please the Salafists of these imams that put this together, is the fact that they made no comment. It's about navigating differences in America because they're responding to certain cultural conversations that they began to not have the stomach for because they've been, in fact, literally in bed with the far-left progressivists in the United States. And now that they can't stand it anymore, they put out this homophobic screed about deviance and other things, which is just not humanitarian. And it's not egalitarian. And yet, this screed somehow is being ignored by the far left. 
The far left has not made any statements about how the Islamists that they love with the imams at the Council on American-Islamic Relations, Islamic Society of North America and otherwise, have put out this anti-LGBT or anti-gay statement in an attempt to marginalize opinions otherwise in our community. Now, I might disagree with some of the Muslim organizations that want to, for example, talk about the theological justification for same-sex marriage and other things. We can have that debate. But to take away their freedom to do that, the, their self-identification of that, and, and somehow say that that's American and that's Islamic, that's absurd. We can have this debate. And I do not think it's Islamic for us to, as a community or as any collective, to disenfranchise or to apostatize, more literally apostatize, individuals by saying that this is Islam and this is not. We can have that debate now. Also, what I, the, the majority of the people I know in the gay community that I've talked to about this are also horrified by the in-your-face and, and oppressive nature of some of the language about transgenderism and the fact that it's being pushed upon children at ages in which they're not equipped to deal with this. So there are so many layers to this, but one layer that's clear is that the Islamists have no place in either the conservative movement, which might find some of their discussion of family values sympathetic, or with the progressivists that now should see that their homophobic rants, no matter how they try to dissimulate and double speak, are not at home with their extreme agenda on the far left. Bottom line, though, is to say that there's no room in the Islamic community for those who identify or believe in homosexuality or otherwise is not something for us as Muslims. It is amazing to me at the the empowerment that these theocrats believe that they can decide who is and who is not a Muslim, what is and what is not Islam. It amazes me that, oh, they see somebody drinking a glass of beer, oh, he must not be a Muslim, or if he is, he clearly rejects his faith. Oh, really? Okay. I don't drink alcohol. I've chosen to interpret my faith that way. But that's an interpretation. That doesn't apostatize you because you decide that the, the, the decision to eat pork or, or have a drink of alcohol or whatever it might be that you might find to fall under the category of sins in your interpretation of religion somehow makes you the real Muslim and everybody else fake or apostates. And how about we get to the core issue of the matter and that as they try to control definitions of who is and who is not Muslim, most notably with those of us who believe in a secular system, a system in which there's a separation of religion and government in which it is not government's role to decide which form of Islam we will practice and what is and what is not Islam or Sharia and not Sharia. You can form your local communities 
that share certain values and build those things on the identifications you wish. What defines a Muslim is up to the individual who self-declares to be a Muslim. Now, is that the Wild West in which you could have anything then? Well, that's what freedom's all about. Let's have the debate. Let's have the discussion. And let's also talk about core values that really would allow us to build the legacy of a nation under God with values that will allow us to sustain a legacy of freedom. And do we really think that the debate about homosexuality is one of those core debates? I don't think so. The core debates about what allows us to have a legacy of unity as a country under a national identity, a patriotic identity of freedom, has to do with some core issues of free speech, of capitalism, the right to property, the right to uh, um, parental rights and, and my family, our family. Now, how you define that family is up to you. But to say somehow that we're going to take away these other rights or ignore them and say this is a core thing that we're going to define what is and what is not Islam or Christianity or Judaism is absurd. And I think America that has been going through this now in the past few decades, part of the pushback against wokeism is the fact that the woke want to, through a cultural revolution, destroy a lot of the values that truly make us diverse. In the name of diversity, they're taking away choice for conservatism, for beliefs that are to the right or to the left. Diversity of ideas is going away. Free speech is going away. And this is what the imams are exploiting, but also at the same time creating obstacles that prevents us from the core reforms that are needed that go beyond tolerance, and that we need to begin to prioritize issues that are related to the true identification of what an Islam fit for the 21st century, fit for Western beliefs and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. And that's what our Muslim reform movement's all about. Our Muslim reform movement took conservatives like myself and, and brought us together with liberals and others and said, these are the core issues. Number one, human rights and equality. Number two, secular governance. And then went on to number three, free speech, etc. And said that these are the things that we cannot determine what is. And it's not up to human beings to define what is and what is not Islamic or Muslim. It's up to between an individual and God. And that in Islam, there is no clergy. There is no hierarchy. There are just scholars. We pick and choose among them. But these scholars, these hundred in America that signed this, they think they are Islam. So they might claim to be American, but the way they're acting runs completely counter to the principles of fighting against the establishment of religion, establishment of the theocracy that our founding fathers fought against in the American Revolution. So this statement, I think, speaks a lot that the left has been silent and that they'll take anything in order to continue to be able to exploit the Muslim community for their own agenda and they'll ignore their homophobia even. They'll ignore their anti-Semitism. They'll ignore all of that. And by the way, this isn't new. Louis Farrakhan is not only an anti-Semite, he's a homophobe and has been so for some time in the Women's March and others in the left that have been hand in hand with 
the Nation of Islam and the Black Panther movement and others, it is historically well established that their their comfort with that type of extremism. So, at the end of the day, think about what are the priorities of the core values that hold us together. Yes, God is central to that. But we are under God, not under one particular religion. We're under a moral construct to be moral, honest, humble, have integrity, but not based on one legal sharia or any type of system of theological discourse, but rather of human discourse. It's been great talking to you today. Thank you for being a part of the podcast. Share it with your friends. Find me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and also at Reform This Radio and at the Blaze Podcast Network. God bless, and we'll see you soon. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.